second-class citizens ostracized, forced to leave their homes with no chance of advancing. This is the fate of many of our brothers and sisters in Christ who live in Pakistan. And those are just a few of the stories of the more than 340 million Christians today who are living in places that experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. Now, to give you a perspective of 340 million Christians living under persecution, the United States population, the entire population of the United States, is not quite 330 million. So understand this, that today there are more people, more Christians living in high levels of persecution and discrimination than the entire population of the United States put together. Every man, woman, and child in the United States. There are more Christians living under persecution today than in the entire United States. Last year alone, more than 4,760 Christians were killed just because they were Christians. More than 4,480 churches were attacked or burned to the ground, some while the doors were barred shut and the people trapped inside. This morning, one in every eight Christians got up and went to a worship service with a 50-50 shot that by the end of service, they would be beaten, they would be arrested, they would be tracked, or they would be killed for their faith. And yet they chose faith over fear anyway. They chose to demonstrate their faith in Christ and pay the price rather than hide their faith and take the easy way out. And you see, this idea of having to choose between our faith and our life and between choosing our faith and and time in prison or our faith and our family is so foreign to us sitting in these nice, comfortable chairs this morning. It's something we don't even think about and we don't even fathom because we don't live in places where this happens every single day. You see, while it's not true for us, we don't have to think about those things our brothers and sisters around the world do. And it was definitely true for the Jews that lived in the first century who chose to follow Christ. And I'm going to be honest with you, the further our nation goes on the track that it's on, the more this is going to become a reality for each and every one of us. See, the time comes when we all have to make a choice, just like the first readers of the book of Hebrews, that when the going gets tough, are you going to keep with it? Or are you not? Are we going to live by faith and pay the price or deny your faith and try to blend in with the world around us? The writer of Hebrews in the last part of chapter 10 was where we've gotten to. We, we've been working through this book. For you guys that are just joined us, we've been working through this book. We've gotten to this very last paragraph in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 32. You can go ahead and be turning there. And the writer wants to know, or he wants you to know, that life is tough. And he encourages his readers that when this life is tough, just keep going. And, and I love this passage of Scripture, and we're going to go through this passage of Scripture, one, because it's where we're at, but there's two major reasons. One, because like I said, persecution happens. It, it, things are tough. Even for us who are Christians, there are times when you have to make a choice. Are you going to make the right decision and face the consequences, or are you just going to blend in with everybody else? Are you willing to stand out for your faith, or are you willing to take what it, or, or take what it call, pay the price for doing that? The other thing that I love about this passage is that while it is addressing persecution specifically, it's not limited to that. 
that the, the truths that are found in this passage of Scripture really could be applicable to any time there's a difficulty in your life. And we're going to read through this. And any time life gets so hard, when you're overwhelmed in times of grief, these are things that you can come back to. Any time that you're overwhelmed by times of anxiety, these are things you can come back to. When, when you're facing really any number of high-pressure or high-stress situation, these are words of truth and words of wisdom that you can come back to. And this can be a source of comfort for you. So go ahead and open up your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read in verse 32 down through the end of the chapter. But Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 says, Therefore, or excuse me, remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. Sometimes you were public, publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions. And in other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you, were, or for you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions, knowing that you yourself have a better and enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you need endurance, so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. Verse 37, For yet in a little while the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and obtain life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for who you are. God, for what you have done for us. God, for the price that you paid to send your son to die on a cross to clear us of our sins so that we can come back to you. God, how could we ever turn our back on a God who gave so much to us? God, how could we ever shrink back and fall away and draw back into a life that didn't want us in the first place? So God, this morning I pray that as we read through your text, God, that we are strengthened that we are emboldened to take a brand new stand and take a step of faith this morning, Father. God, we're going to face a world that tells us this is not right and the truth is not truth anymore. God, we're going to face a world that continually tells us that we are wrong to stand on beliefs and we're wrong to stand on convictions. God, I pray this morning that we draw to this text and over and over again we draw to the strength that you give us. God, that regardless of where we're at and what we're going through, God, you are our reason to praise this morning. Because you are our wonderful, almighty counselor. And so, God, wherever we are at this morning, God, whatever our difficulties, whatever our hardship is, God, whether it's persecution because of faith or just struggles and, and the pressures of, of everyday life, God, I pray that your words meet us where we are at this morning. God, that we are strengthened and we are emboldened by your text and who you are this morning, Father. God, I pray that you speak. God, I pray that we were ready to listen with open hearts, with open minds. God, we are ready to be changed by you this morning, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. read a story that a number of years ago, a lady named Michelle Johnson was standing by the hospital bed of her son who had just had a very serious surgery. She, like most mothers, had been there for days and wasn't really ready to leave the hospital. She wasn't going to leave her son 
there at the hospital by himself. And uh, like anybody who spent time in the hospital in that role, you know that um, those reclining chairs they give you, they're really not made for sleeping in. They're, they're really not comfortable. And uh, so this mom had been there, Miss Johnson had been there for days and uh, kind of exhausted. And she finally decided that she was going to take a, uh, just a few moments. She was going to go down to the cafeteria and she was going to get something to eat for breakfast. Her, her son was still asleep, and so she was going to make her way to the elevator, and she was just exhausted, physically just completely worn out, and had almost all the strength she had to get to the elevator. And she got to the elevator, and as she got there, she pushed the button just like we all do, and she began just to wait for the elevator. And as she did, she thought, you know, I don't even know what floor I'm on, and maybe I need to remember that because at some point I'm going to have to get back up here. And so she looked at the little sign that's on the elevator door, and it said six. And all of a sudden, she thought about something. She looked to her left, and out the window, she saw the roof of the building that was adjacent to it, this concrete roof. And so uh, Michelle Johnson walked over, left the elevator part, walked over and just put her hand on that window and stared out at that roof. And she said as she did, she couldn't help but to smile. She just kind of felt this new energy flow from her feet all the way to the top of her head. She just, she just couldn't help but to, to be excited about that roof. You see, for most people, it was just a roof. But for Michelle Johnson, she knew that roof. She had stared at that roof for six weeks when she herself was on that exact same floor 35 years ago. You see, 35 years ago, Michelle Johnson, when she was a kid, was in a very bad car accident. And the doctors told her and her family she will probably never walk again. If she does, she's going to need all kinds of assistance and all kinds of equipment to be able to walk, even get around the room, much less walk normally. At best, you're looking at it, and within one year, you're going to have such bad arthritis, you're going to have to take medication every day for the rest of your life just to deal with the pain. In the best case scenario, in five years, you're going to have to have a complete hip replacement surgery, and then you're going to have to follow that up because it's not going to last. So every 10 years, you just need to expect to have this major surgery where your hip is replaced. And Michelle Johnson stood there. She looked out of this roof, and she started to cry. Because 35 years later, she's looking at the same roof, having never had surgery, having never taken one ounce of arthritis medication, and having walked down the hall to the elevator on her own power, never needing an assistance from anybody or any machine or anything to walk with from that day forward. You see, in that moment, she was reminded that God was faithful even in the roughest, hardest times of her life. And 35 years later, she stood and she looked at this roof. And she couldn't help but remember how faithful God had been through it all. And she wrote these words later. She says, sometimes we need to look back at where we've been with God to really understand His faithfulness and His love for us. You see, that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get his readers to do and us to do this morning. He's pointing us backwards to say to remember the past. And even though you might be in a tough and difficult situation right now, you've been through hard times before and God is faithful through all of those times. And he's been faithful all the way through till now. And he starts in verse 32 and the writer points them backwards in time. And he reminds them that when hard times, when the going gets tough, when the things you can do is look back to where you've been with God. And he says in verse 32, he says, Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle 
with suffering. He says, call to mind the pastor. Or don't you remember when you first became a Christian? I, there are lots of folks here, and many of you, I know your stories. Some of you are, are new, and I haven't seen your faces, and I don't know your stories. But some of us can remember when we first became Christians. Some of us can remember the day that we got in the waters ourselves. Some of us remember the day that we walked the aisle, and we were just so excited. We were just so filled with joy of this new life in Christ. We were just so filled with excitement about the, what the cross meant for us, that God loved us enough to send His Son to die on the cross for us, that He was going to wash us white with, with all of our sins, that none of our past was going to haunt us anymore. We were so excited, we just couldn't wait to go out into the world and share this with the rest of the world. As the old saying, I grew up in Stokes County, and the old saying there is we were ready to take on the gates of hell with a water pistol, if that's what it took. Man, we were just so pumped about what Jesus had done for us. We just couldn't wait to get out of church and get into the world and start telling everybody about how awesome Jesus was and what He had done in our life. And some of you remember that excitement. Some of you remember that joy that you felt those first days when you were baptized and you were going out and you were just ready to tell everybody about what Jesus had done for you. And then some of you remember that it didn't take very long for hell to start pushing back. Some of you remember that it didn't take very long for people not to be as excited about Jesus as you were about Jesus. They weren't excited about you telling them the truth of what Jesus had done for you, much less what He could do for them. And it didn't take very long to realize that not everybody is excited about you becoming a Christian. And so for some of us, there were tough days. There were days of struggles even back then. And then in verse 33 and verse 34, he details some of the struggles that these early believers had to go through. In verse 33, he says, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions. You were insulted publicly. You were made fun of. People publicly disgraced you, dehumanized you, laughed in your face. And if that wasn't bad enough, it wasn't just verbal abuse. They had to deal with this physical abuse as well. You see, there's the taunting and then there's the afflictions. The taunting is the verbal part of it. The afflictions are the physical part of it. Some of them were beating. He goes on in verse 34 that some of them were arrested and put in jail. Some of them had their possessions confiscated either by their family, by the Jewish leaders by the, that lived in the town. Some of them had their houses taken, their land taken by the Romans. Some of them in this Christian, those Christians in the first century, that they were, they were in downright danger from the moment they chose to be a Christian, from the moment they stepped into the waters of baptism and said, this is my public profession, they were a marked target from that moment on. You see, fast forward a few hundred years later, and we see the same thing happening in, early, in the early Baptist movement in Europe and even here in America, that there were some early Baptists who were taken down to a river, and they were dunked in a river over and over and over again. Even some of them drowned because they couldn't catch their breath long enough before they were shoved back down in the water. Some of them were called child abusers because they wouldn't let their children be sprinkled as a child. Some of them were not only accused of child abuse, but they physically had their children removed from their home because they wouldn't let their children be sprinkled. They were excommunicated from their town and forced to live out on their own in the, in the wilderness in places they, they weren't prepared to live. You see, listen, I need you to understand that being a Christian was never easy. I've got news for you. It was never meant to be easy. And so I want to be open and I want to be clear and I want to be honest with you. If someone told you to come to Christ and all of your troubles would be washed away, if somebody told you to come to Christ and life would be so much easier, you wouldn't have another worry or pain in this world, I'm sorry if somebody lied to you. 
Because the reality is that Jesus told us that you should expect troubles. You should expect difficulties. And I would venture to say that if things are not difficult and things are not troubling for you, then maybe you're not standing out in the gospel as much as you should be. You see, Satan doesn't attack people who aren't a threat to him. This world is not worried about a witness for Christ who doesn't witness for Christ. Being a Christian has never been easy. Standing up for your faith and your belief has never been easy. And for many in the past, and for many of our brothers and sisters in Christ today, this is very costly. And I've got a feeling that if our nation continues, it's going to be costly for us as well, for our children and for our grandchildren. They will face a reality in a future that is far different than the cultural Christianity that many of us are comfortable with and grew up with. And I've got to tell you that some of you are sitting here and you're like, well, Michael, I thought this was an encouraging message. I thought you were going to tell us how to get through this persecution. I thought you were going to tell us how to get through this hard time. How is it you're reminding us of all this hardship that's happened in the past? How's that going to help us press on and hold on and keep going? And the answer is absolutely it's going to because what we said earlier that sometimes you need to look at where you've been with God to really understand His faithfulness and His love for us. You see, you're alive now because you've been through a past and that past has been full of its share of heartaches and heartbreaks. And guess who got you through every single one of them? The God who is still by your side. He walked you through. He carried you through. He drug you through some of those storms in your life. He's picked you up and He's brought you through every single one of them. And the question is, why do you think He would leave you now? He's not going to. God didn't bring you this far to strand you here. He didn't bring you this far to leave you here. He didn't bring you this far to say, good luck, you're on your own now, fight your own battles. No, when I read Scripture, it simply says to put on the armor of God and stand still and let Him do the fighting. Why? Because He's fought every battle I've ever faced. He's fought every battle I've ever been in. He's been in every hardship I've ever faced. And he's done every one of them and He will do it again in the future. God has been faithful in every situation in your life. He has been through every one of them with you. And sometimes we reach points in our life that we, we think we just can't go on. We just reach points in our life when, when the pressures of life are so difficult. And maybe it's because of persecution. Maybe it's just the weight of this world. Maybe it's just so much going on at one time. We reach this place in our life where we're like, we just can't go on. And the reality is that you've been there before. You've been in other situations and other times in your past when you thought the exact same thing. God, I just can't do this anymore. I can't press on anymore. I can't keep going like this. And yet what happened? God got you through every single one of those situations. And sometimes to keep going, we've got to look back at our past. When life gets hard, when the pressures become too much, look back and remember the faithfulness of God that He's been through everything with you and He's not going to leave you now. There's never been a time in your life that God let go of you. There's never been a time when God hasn't been holding you and pushing you and even dragging you in and through the storms of your life. And if He didn't leave you then, He's not going to leave you now. You still have reasons to praise even in your hard times because of the times that He brought you through. But for some of us, we don't necessarily need to look back. For some of us, we need to, to look around. Because instead of looking back, we need to look around and we need to start seeing other people. Because there's other people who when we start to care for other people, we begin to start looking less at ourselves and more on them. You see, when we care for others, sometimes it goes a long way in helping us come to a place when it makes life easier for us. A couple weeks ago, I was visiting someone in a hospital 
And it was a hospital that I'm not very familiar with the layout of. And and so I walked up to the front desk and I asked where this patient was. And they told me a room number. And I just kind of stood there for a moment. And the guy said, you don't know where you're going, do you? And I said, I have no clue, sir. If if you could help me, at least point me in the right direction. And so then he started giving me directions on how to get to this patient's room. And I'm pretty sure somewhere there was like three elevator rides. There were like four left turns. I felt like I was in a NASCAR race and I was just making circles in this situation. There were like five different landmarks that I was going to pass. I was going to go by like 15 water fountains, 25 hand washing stations and all of this stuff. And I was just like... We're, we're just going to go ask somebody else because I'm so confused. But about that time, I, I heard this little voice behind me say, do you just want me to take him? Do you just want me to take him where he needs to go? I'm headed that way. I'll just take him. And so I turned around and I saw this little lady. She was about this tall. And she, I'm not sure about it, but I would almost say there was this like angelic glow because suddenly she was my light who was going to take me to where I needed to go. And, and so we started down this really long hallway and I started talking to her as, as we were going. And I found out this lady was in her 90s. She was in her 90s and almost like, I'm not saying like we were creeping down the hallway. We were pacing it. Like I had to keep up with her in her 90s walking down this hallway. She had a purpose and her purpose was getting to me to where I need to go. And so as we kept going, I, we kept talking to each other. And I found out that she has been volunteering at this hospital since she retired from this hospital at the age of 75 she was a nurse until she was 75. Then she just said she didn't want to take the test anymore, so she would just volunteer. <laughs> That's who I want to be right there when I grow up, okay? That's who I want to be. Um, but, man, I tell you, and I said, man, I just think it's so amazing that you have so much energy and you're so excited about uh, um, coming and volunteering your time and your energy, and I just can't thank you enough for, for getting me where I need to go. And, and she said, well, this, this coming back, this is what keeps me young. And so I've decided that maybe I need to spend more time in hospitals because apparently if you're there and you're 90, it keeps you young. And she said that when I walk these hallways, I pass all these people that are in a whole lot worse shape than I am. She said, yeah, at 90 years old, it's hard some days. And at 90, in my 90s, there's some aches and there's some pains that when I get up, but I get going down this hallway and I pass a, a person on a bed who can't walk. And I pass another one who's rolling in a wheelchair. And I pass somebody else who's going into surgery. And somebody else that's going out of surgery. And all of a sudden, my aches and pains, they're not so bad anymore. When I start caring for other people, I get my eyes off of myself. And I get my eyes on someone else. You see, there are a whole lot of other people who are in a whole lot worse shape than we are. You see, that lady had learned that when you're in a hard time, sometimes you need to look around and take care of other people. In verse 33 and verse 34, the writer reminds the readers of the hard times they've been through, but he reminds them of the time they were doing these hard things with other people. They were doing them to care for other people. So I want you to look back with me in verse 33. He says that sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions. And other times, you were companions of those who were treated that way. A different translation would say that sometimes being partners with those so treated. See, sometimes you were the one that was being insulted, and you were the one who was being physically abused. Sometimes you were the one that had the pressure so great on you, but there were other times it wasn't you. There were other times you partnered 
with the person who the insults were coming at. There were other times that you partnered with somebody and you helped them withstand the pressure. You shared in their sufferings. There were times that that it was you, but there were other times you came alongside someone and you picked them up and, and you took them back to your house and honestly you bandaged their wound. You helped them back on their feet and you were you were the one wounded and the other times you were the one bandaging the wounds. Sometimes you were the one being insulted, but other times you were the one standing up for the person being insulted and you were the one guarding them and protecting them. And he goes on in verse 34 and he says, And remember not only that time, but there were times that you were companions of those who were insulted and abused. But he takes it a step further in verse 34. You were a sympathizer with those in prison or with the prisoners. And, and this word sympathizer means to have deep compassion for them, to, to feel the same thing that they feel. We would use the word empathy today, that you feel what they feel, that you feel their pain and you feel their suffering. And so you took action it caused you to do something and so we know that the early christians that they prayed for those who are in prison we know that the early christians visited those in prison i've got to share with you that that prison then was very different than prison today you actually had to pay to be in prison back then believe it or not you had to pay and if you didn't pay, you didn't eat, and you just starved to death in prison, right? So there were folks that would, who were Christians who went to visit other Christians, and they would bring them food. There were folks who were Christians who would bring money to those who were in prison so they could pay to eat, and they could get their meals. And so what he's telling them is, you were so moved with compassion, you had such sympathy for those who were in jail. You weren't the one there, but you went and visited these folks in jail, knowing that at any point in time, it could be you on the other side of the bars. And yet you went and you did it anyway. You became their companion. You became a sympathizer for them and you did all of this because you knew their afflictions and you knew their sufferings and you were letting them know the whole time, hey, listen, brother, you're not alone. You are loved and you are cared for. Now, we want to take this back for just a moment to where this care for each other reminds us of what we talked about last week, that there are strength in numbers. And I find it extremely remarkable that this passage about withstanding persecution comes on the heels of the passage that we talked about last week in chapter 10, verse 25, where he says, Don't stay away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encourage each other. All the more as you see the day, the day drawing near. You see, the reason that we worship together is because when the going gets tough, God knows that we need each other. We need to hold on to each other. When the going gets tough, we need to lean on each other. That when we need the encouragement, when the family of God gets together, because there are times when the family of God cannot get together. There's times when the family of God is pressured and persecuted, and it's not safe to be together. And he's telling you that when you have the opportunity, don't waste the opportunity listen to me that we need to count our blessings every day that we live in a time and in this time and in this place you see we need to count our blessings every single time that we get a chance to gather here and worship in this place without a fear of being arrested or being put to death we take this moment far too often for granted you see god forgive us from when we missed opportunities together for worship when we were too tired from the night before or the week before. God forgive us for when we missed opportunities together for worship because we had a busy afternoon scheduled. God forgive us for when we missed opportunities to worship with others because we were busy looking ahead at next week instead of looking up at the one who holds next week or looking around at the people who we should be caring for along the way. You see, when we start to pray and care for the persecuted Christians around the world who cannot do what we are doing right now without the fear of walking out those doors and being arrested or beaten when we do it, suddenly it makes it a little harder to sleep in on Sunday mornings. 
When you realize that there are 340 million Christians who could be arrested for possessing the Bible that many of you hold in your hands or have on your phones, and this very moment makes you a little harder to skip devotions or skip a Bible study. When you realize that, that people even to this day cannot bow in public and pray because they may be persecuted, they may be beaten. When you realize that people literally give up their lives to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, it makes it a little harder for us not to take it to the people that live next door to us. You see, sometimes the best way to get through hard times is get your eyes off of yourself and onto somebody else. And you might realize that the struggles that you have, they're really not as bad as you thought they were. You might realize that many people have it far worse and are in far worse shape than you are. And so maybe the best thing you can do is get your eyes off yourself and start caring for other people who are afflicted. Start caring for other people who are carrying a burden that you don't have to carry. Become their partners and suddenly you might find your hard time suddenly just slipping away further and further because you're carrying the burdens of somebody else. You see, when the going gets tough, we're reminded to look back at the past. We're encouraged to look around and care for each other. But there's one other direction that the writer of Hebrews tells us to look, and that's simply to look forward, for us to focus on the future. I heard a story about a man named Dr. Joseph Stowell, and Dr. Joseph Stowell actually just retired. He was the president of uh, Cornerstone University in Grand Rapids, Michigan, no affiliation to us, but he was, the pa- he was the president of that university. And several years ago, he had the opportunity. Uh, he was invited to visit a, a home for mentally handicapped children. And so he was taking a tour of this place. He was going to be their speaker for the day. And uh, so they walked him. They gave him this tour of the place. And as he noticed, as he was walking through the hallways, he noticed that almost every single one of the windows just had smudges of handprints and what looked like face prints on it. And so he, he noticed that every single window had just these smudges and smears all over them. But everything else was almost pristine conditions. And that was what made these windows kind of stand out to him. But that everything else was spotless, like it had just been cleaned, except these windows. And so he asked the director, he said, Ma'am, I, this is a beautiful facility. This is an absolutely gorgeous place, and you guys keep it immaculate. But I've got to ask you, like, why are the windows like that? Why do they have these handprints and, and what looks like these little kids' face prints on these windows? And the director looked at him and said, Well, sir, we talk a lot about Jesus here. And we talk about the fact that even though we can't see Jesus here, he's here. And he's coming back for us. That one day we will see him. And one day he's coming back from the sky. And he's coming back to us. And he says the children here love Jesus. And they're so eager for him to return. That we really have a hard time keeping them off the windows. Because they press their face against the windows. They lean against the windows. And they look up to the sky. And they just keep doing it. And it doesn't matter how much we clean it. It doesn't matter how often we clean it. Every time we turn around there's a little kid with his face plastered to the window. Looking up to the sky just waiting. And Dr. Stowell left that children's home, and later he wrote these words. He says, my friends, when we face the difficulty of life, lean against the window. Look up to the sky. The Jesus is coming, and we need to be watching. See, starting in verse 34, the author of Hebrews gives us this same lesson. He says, when life gets difficult, look to the future. We've already looked at the first part of verse 34. And the suffering that the early Christians had to face. And, and we want to look at the end of the verse and get their motivation for it. And so he writes in verse 34, he says, For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions. And here's the motive. Here's the, the part I want you to see. Knowing that you yourself 
have a better and enduring possessions. These guys were living out James chapter 1, that they counted it pure joy when they faced trials. They counted it joy when even their possessions were taken away from them. And the question is, why would you count that as joy? Simply because this, you know that what the future holds for you is better than what the past held for you and what you are holding on to right now. That when you focus on the future, that what you have on this earth doesn't compare to what is holding up for you in heaven. That when you lose possessions here, you're gaining possessions there, that you're building up for yourselves treasures in heaven, that they are far better and they're more enduring, that no one can take them away. He goes on, verse, goes on in verse 35 and he says, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. And this word confidence means an open boldness. It, it can sometimes be translated as an unreserved speech. It's where you don't hold back. It's where you boldly say what you want to say without fear of what happens afterwards. You don't worry about being politically correct. You don't worry about offending someone. You don't worry about calling out sin that is true sin. You don't worry about what people think about you, what people act about you. You don't worry about what it's going to cost you. You simply say what you need to say, and you say it with boldness. And the writer says, don't throw that away. Don't lose heart now. Hold on to your confidence. Stand on the truth even when the truth isn't popular. Hold on to the truth and listen and stand on it even when people don't want to hear it. Be bold in your faith and share your faith. Why? Because there's great reward in that. That's the reward that he talks about in verse 36 that is promised for us. This reward is that when we do God's will, we will get to see His coming. And we will hear those words that every Christian longs to hear at the end of our life. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Dr. Al Mohler, the president of Southern Baptist Seminary, wrote this. He says, we may lose everything for the sake of Christ. But in an internal sense, we lose nothing. We may lose possessions, friends, family, and the comforts of this life, but we have a better and abiding possession, of, possession waiting for us in our heavenly city. You see, when the going gets tough, look to the future. There are brighter and better days ahead for you. When we put our faith and trust in this in Christ, you need to understand that this life that you're living, this is as bad as it's ever going to get for you and for me. This is as close to hell as we're ever going to face. That from this moment on, it only gets better and better and better. There are brighter days. There are better days ahead that we are coming to an eternity that has a heavenly city. That we're coming into eternity when Jesus returns for us or takes us home that has streets paid with gold where every tear is wiped away and what we need to do is for the time being we just need to lean against the window and look up to the sky for our reward there is great when your days are hard and life gets tough keep going and look to the future lean into the window but until you get there the last thing in this passage simply know that until that day comes life will not be easy for us and Jesus told us from the beginning that life you will have troubles and so the last thing the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 10 is simply don't waste those opportunities. Those troubles that come are opportunities that God has given you. Don't waste them. In verse 38, he starts this introduction of living by faith, and he really takes it up in verse 11. So I hope all of you will come back um, to when we get into chapter 11. We're not going to get there today, but we will get to verse 38. And so verse 38, he says, But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he draws back... I will not, or I have no pleasure in Him. And so our standing and our living in faith is when God finds pleasure in us. 
It is those moments when He, as our Father, is proud of us. And so all the things that God possesses and all the things that God can make and create, the thing that makes Him most pleasurable, the thing that makes Him most excited, is when His children do what He says to do. It's when His children are obedient, when His children uh, do not, or excuse me, when they do not draw back, when we do what He calls us to do. And it goes on in verse 39. In verse 39, he says, But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and obtain life. That word destroyed in this verse can be translated as wasted. You see, the biggest pressure that the early Christians and even Christians today in persecution faith, and every Christian in this room faces, is to draw back into whatever your former life looked like. And for some of you, that's to draw back into a former religion. And for, so for some folks, the pressures they face were to draw back into the, to blend their religion so that they don't stand out from any other different religion. For some of us, it's not a different religion. For some of us, God saved us from a, a different lifestyle. And so the pressure is to draw back into that blended lifestyle, to believe that we can have Jesus for salvation, but it doesn't have to change anything else. In our life, the, the, the way that we don't have to change anything, it's the way we don't have to get made fun of, it's the way we don't have to face taunting and afflictions. We just simply become Christians. We may show up on Sunday, we may show up on Christmas, we may show up on Easter, but the rest of my life doesn't have to look any different. And what he's telling you simply is this don't draw back and waste your life. When we draw back, we waste the opportunities that God has given us. When we When we draw back, we waste the opportunities to change the world that is around us. And what he's telling you is don't waste the opportunities to change the world around you by trying to blend in with the world around you. Don't waste the opportunity to proclaim the truth by living lies and affirming lies that this world tells you that is true. You see, we can't change the world if we look like the world. We can't be the change of the world if we don't stand out from the world. And so don't waste the opportunities. Don't think you have to blend in with this world. Don't think you have to act like the other people of this world. Don't think you have to behave and act like the other folks in this world. Because when you do, you waste opportunities for them to say there's something different about you. There's something unusual about you. And whatever it is, I want that. You see, being a Christian is not easy. It never has been, it was never promised to be, and it is never going to be. And so when the going gets tough, the words of Scripture tell us to keep going. When the going gets tough, remember the past. When the going gets tough, care for others. When the going gets tough, focus on the future and the reward that awaits you. But in the meantime, don't waste the opportunities that God has put in front of you. Let's pray together.